You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. All right, welcome. We are in the studio with Ross. I'm Eric. We are in week three of our challenging religious series in Mark chapter two, and we are going to get right into this. Um, Today's lesson is titled, Why Religious Activity? We look all over the world and see all kinds of people doing religious deeds or rituals and habits, and I'm sure many of us question, why do they do that? Isn't that true, Ross? Well, yeah, you know, um, what's interesting to me is that that every religious system on the globe, whether it's Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim or or traditional Christian or Mormon or whatever it might be, has a list of prescribed religious practices or activities. And a lot of them look the same, because almost every group prays, the Muslims pray, Christians pray, um, and, and so down the list. So what, what differentiates us? And it's a great question for us to ask ourselves, like, like why do we pray? Um, why do we do the things we do, like what, going to church or reading our Bible or whatever the list is, the sort of approved list for, you know, Christians in our culture today? Um, you know, what does it mean to us? And, and what are our motives? What's going on with those things? And those are the, that's a question that gets raised uh, with Jesus in, um, here in Mark chapter 2. And it's, get, it's raised by people who are really asking him why he doesn't do a religious activity that they want to do. Yeah, we can all imagine that person in our minds that's carrying a clipboard and, and running down a checklist of things that need to be done, whether it's at work, whether it's uh, chore duties at home. Um, I can relate to this. You know, my family has lists of things that, that need to be done, and I'm more on the side of you know, if we just don't get to it, we just don't get to it, and it's fine. We can just erase it off the list, and, you know, my wife's a little bit different. But sometimes there are people, when it comes to religious practices in, in faith, that are looking around at other people, kind of judging other people, holding them to this standard, saying, well, if I believe that this is how you're supposed to do it, then why aren't you following this list. And, and some people believe that the list is clear in the Bible yeah. um, about how we're supposed to worship God. And there are certainly a lot of things in there, a lot of disciplines, a lot of commands and calls to be obedient and things that God has said to do in the Old and both the New Testament. But yet, if we look at it a little bit deeper, we need to understand that not all of those things... Um, mean what they mean at first glance, and they're mm -hmm. pointing towards other things. And, and you know, when Jesus steps on the scene, he's trying to get to our hearts and not just our outward actions and motives. Um, but people really come up against Jesus. That's what we've been talking about in this series is challenging religion. Well, it's because Jesus is being challenged by the religious leaders of his day— right. Right. Um, and so in Mark chapter 2, we're calling the Pharisees the religion police because they don't like the way Jesus is doing things. He steps on the scene and he's 
uh, not really doing it the way that they feel like he should be doing it. If he mm-hmm. calls himself the Messiah, the Son of God, they have a list of things that he ought to be doing. He shouldn't be hanging out with sinners. Yeah, and we tax saw that collectors. last week. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Their critique was his was against uh, was his was his response to the irreligious people. And the critique now this week is his response to their response to like, oh, this is how religious people should act. They didn't like the irreligious people. They don't like religious people who aren't like them in this situation. Yeah, so in Mark chapter 2, verse 18, we're going to get right to this interaction. It says, Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? So these Pharisees see uh, Jesus and his disciples, and they're questioning, how come your guys are different from our guys, right? How come, you, if, if you say that you've, you're, you're of the same faith, you've come to, you know, save and, and, be the Messiah, then how come you're not acting the way that we feel like you should be acting? Yeah, it does feel like a critique, in my mind, more than just an honest question, because the people, I mean, even if the people didn't follow the scrupulous regimen of the Pharisees, I think, generally speaking, people still elevated them and said, well, that's how it ought to be. I'm not going to live that, but I can't, but that's how it ought to be. So they're wondering about Jesus. How come you're not doing doing it the way you're supposed to do it? And so... You know, fasting goes back to the Old Testament. It's definitely something that's that's in the Bible, but um, and it's a widely practiced custom, and it has a lot of important meaning. But what's interesting is I was looking into this. I, I couldn't find a place in the Law of Moses that actually commands fasting uh, for God's covenant people. Now it became an important practice, and it has important reasons for doing it. But I couldn't find a place that actually commands, that makes it a non-negotiable for um, the people who are the followers of God in the Old Testament period. Now, it's important, again, it reflects that, you know, it's my, it's my sense that something's wrong, and so I need to rect- it needs to be rectified. Is something wrong in me or something wrong in the nation? So people would fast um, as, a, as a way of expressing their sorrow over, over a situation. Maybe the nation was facing uh, a great enemy, or the nation had become sinful, and, and so fasting is a sign of grief and mourning and dependence and longing and hope and need, um, and all of that is valid. Um, it, but it, by the first century, you know, it had kind of, like, like many things in Pharisaical religion, it had become kind of more about keeping outward checklists, right? Yeah, so so fasting is is one of these things that we we see in the Old Testament. We do see that it was a part of the, uh, an act of. I think I read somewhere in a commentary that it was something that was said to do on the Day of Atonement, but that was like the only place um, until you get to some of the minor prophets where they're they're mourning over kind of the the split and the the state of of Israel, right? And yeah, they're mourning yeah. over the the national sin, and there's all these calls to to get together um, for for a fast and to be set apart, right? Um, to come come to the Lord and worship. And th- there's many times where God doesn't recognize people's fasts either, mm-hmm. like they've taken it taken it too far. They've turned it into a religious act. And so, in this passage, the the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders at the time, the people who 
studied the law scrupulously and wanted to follow all of its commands and rules because they they believed that that's how they got right with God and they were blessed by God and they were closer to God. Well, they found their pride in doing this, and so they've narrowed in this conversation, it seems like, the topic, like you said, is is fasting. But we could probably spread that out to all kinds of different things if we broaden this yeah. for a moment yeah. for for people listening to this, talking about religious police or the religion police in our own lives. There's Like you opened up with, there are so many different religions out there that have their own practices and customs, and there are those certain people who take pride in trying to follow mm-hmm. those things, and then they look down their noses at everyone else who is not following j- as well as or as disciplined as. Maybe you're listening to this and you can think about somebody in your own life. It could have been a parent. I've, yeah. I've, I've heard many stories of people who've had parents that maybe misused their religious beliefs to continuously judge their own children, basically driving them away, uh, driving yeah. them into rebellion. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be you know, what happens for a lot of people is when they feel shame and guilt that they're not measuring up, um, it usually drives people into rebellion. They feel like they can't, they can't be right with God then if this is the truth. And certainly, that's probably the way these these Pharisees were. Yeah, intrigued. or you, maybe a church that you attended at some point in the past um, had, was was structured like that, where certain things were expected about how you dressed or or mm. what you did or didn't do, and there's a long list of do's and don'ts and. Um, and, and you know what the the side effect of that is that everybody's kind of measuring themselves against everybody else, and and the people who can pull it off or who can look like they pull it off, you know, their stature rises, and then they become judgmental of people who who don't look like they can pull it off or who actually don't, and so really the outward the outward appearances or the outward practices might look really the same. Because whether it's empty religion of some kind or whether it's true faith in Jesus, you're probably going to fast. You're probably going to attend worship. You're probably going to, you know, serve and give and stuff like that. But, but um, in in this toxic religion mindset, the the religion police are using those kind of lists to to define who's in and who's out or who's better, who's worse, or or really to prop themselves up in their own pride. Yeah, so it's a way of people maybe to measure where they're at by looking at other people, and which makes them feel better about mm-hmm. themselves. And and ultimately, though, the truth is, is it makes a lot of people feel uh, worse about themselves. And yeah. so Jesus, um, he's got some responses to this critique, um, him being wise, him being the Word of God, him being God himself, um, every time he answers a critique, by the way, in Scripture against the Pharisees, it's something that we ought to pay attention to. Yeah. Because it, it's, so, it's so beautiful because they are wise, and they are smart, and they do know the Word well. And so sometimes, you know, in our lives, we're, answer, or we're, we're confronted with these questions about why we believe what we believe and why we do what we do. 
Um, and we better know the, the, the reason to that. Certainly Jesus knows the reason to why he's doing what he's doing. Right. He's got a plan completely right. laid out. No, understands it all. Mm-hmm. So here's the flow of the passage that we're looking at. The person comes up to Jesus with this question or complaint, and then Jesus gives two responses. The first response is a, is a illustration from the common Jewish practice of a wedding festival, and then the second response is drawn from other aspects of ordinary life. So uh, the first response, uh, let me read that in verses 19 through 20. Jesus replied, again, they're thinking about fasting. That's the original question, even though it has broader implications. So he's responding right now to the original question about fasting. In verse 19, Jesus replied, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So first he says, look, here's a common experience, a wedding celebration. That's my first explanation to you about why my disciples don't fast. Because I'm here with them. They should be celebrating. Yeah, the, he's. I love maybe even there's a little bit of sarcasm in there. I'm a sarcastic guy. He's like, what are you, crazy? I mean, who goes to a, a wedding and doesn't get fed and doesn't have some joy and and some fun and some some good relationships some connections along the way right i mean people get all dressed up and they bring their appetites and everybody one of the things that that i usually do when i'm either either conducting a wedding <laughs> or invited to a wedding i'll say what's on the menu <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. because usually there's some pretty good food at mm-hmm. weddings and and a wedding feast is supposed to be a joyous time a great occasion to 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 celebrate um two people being joined together and Jesus uses this this analogy to talk about um you know I'm here and and there's such deeper meaning to it as well though if we think about Jesus He's the the Bible, the the bridegroom, and yeah. the church is the the bride of Christ, and and Jesus is here. The bride is here, or the the bridegroom is here, and and so it's it's the inauguration of the start of of this new thing that Jesus is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. coming to to get his bride, and yeah. and that's what ultimately you know the book of Mark is leading to. Is it's called. A gospel, the gospel of Mark, yeah. because the gospel is is that Jesus came and and died for his bride. Yeah, and so yeah. in this analogy, don't overlook the fact that really it's it's pointing to look the the Messiah's here. Um, something um, different is happening. I know that there's an old custom and a way of doing things that was laid out in the law, but it's all leading to this fulfillment of the Son of God being here. And so now that Jesus is here with them, um, why would his people fast? There, there isn't mourning. They're, they should be celebrating. Yeah, right? elated. Because you know, one day, like you pointed out, he's going to be gone. And this is a foreshadowing of his crucifixion, it seems like, mm-hmm. at the end of Mark's Gospel. Um, but in the meantime, while he's there, you know, um, yeah, there's going to be a time when his followers would fast. There'll be a dependence on on God, and 
and, and um, so their practices will look like the Pharisees. But at the moment, and so what's happening is Jesus is really drawing our attention to why. He's asking his critics to consider the meaning of fasting, not just the outward practice of fasting, but the meaning of it. And so, so he's saying like fasting is not just checking off a box. Mm-hmm. It's not just doing a religious ritual because it's what you're supposed to do, but there's a context in life that says, oh, you know, um, fasting is more than that. It's a, it's a reflection of, of what's going on in your heart. And if your heart is joyful, and because you're with the presence of the bridegroom, then it would, make, it would, it would be silly to fast in a way. And yet, when your heart is mournful, or when your heart is convicted, or whatever, then then you should fast. And so he's really saying that that the bottom line is there's a time to fast and a time not to fast, and it's important to understand the difference between the two. And it has to do with what's going on in your heart and your relationship with God at that time. And that's that's what Jesus is always getting to do. Getting to is the heart yeah. of the matter. Yeah. Um, you know, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, he handles a lot of that. Um, and really, it reveals the heart of the religion police, the Pharisees. Yeah, uh, great point. Even even people around us today that hold to outward rules and conformity, but don't have that joy of of resting in and and celebrating in the fact that you know even though we mess up and we don't follow all the things on the list that that Jesus Christ the bridegroom came and he he died for us to mm-hmm. set us free from the burden yeah the burden of yeah. having having to measure up it shows and and in in this context specifically i think that the pharisees um are jealous because they want to be followed. They want to be the ones that people are are looking to for wisdom and yep. and following after as teachers yeah. and rabbis. And so they're a little bit jealous. And it reminds me of imagine, you know, being that guy at a wedding who's in love with the bride to be, but yet he's but she's she's getting married to some other Somebody guy else, yeah. And it's and the Pharisees like that guy in the crowd when when the when the preacher says, "Does anybody have anything against this wedding? Say it now, or forever hold your peace." Yeah, you know, and yeah. Some Although guy nobody says up. that anymore, right? Except in the movies. Yeah, <laughs> but you're right. It's <laughs> yeah, the guy who would. It's lately. the guy who would say no, no. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, imagine saying, "No, he's not the right one for her. I am." Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, because I tick all the boxes, right? And and let's just ca- cast love out the window. They love each other, but this guy thinks he's the right one for them. And so in a sense, it seems like the religious people are jealous because they want to be looked at as the authorities. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways we see that in the whole New Testament in all of Jesus' interactions with these religious leaders. They they want to have they want to be honored and they want everyone to bow before them. And I think that's just as an aside, that that explains why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when he talked about fasting, he says, when you fast, don't do it like the religious hypocrites, like they're walking down the street blowing trumpets and that you know they they everything they they have they look really mournful and they look you know they look like something bad is happening and they want everybody to know they're fasting so they get credit from everybody. Mm-hmm. Jesus says no, don't. He says don't don't look like you're fasting. The only person who should really know is God, because He's the only one whose whose uh, opinion ca- counts, right? 
but they're they're craving this affirmation from other people. Yeah, and that's a really good point that you bring up that Jesus said that because he says when you fast. Yeah. And so, you know, as we continue to talk about this, Jesus is saying fasting isn't isn't over. Right. He hasn't come to like completely get rid of all of the history and all of the customs of of Judaism altogether. He's really fulfilling right. it. And and there's a moment of time here where Jesus is on earth. That's really, I mean, the clear explanation of this text is that mm-hmm. Jesus is on earth, so they don't need to fast. But but when he's gone, they will fast. They will again. fast. They will fast. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, but I think the point before we, we dig into that a little bit more, I just want to underscore that what we also learned from that it's not about what makes us look righteous. It's not about keeping score. And so a lot of people are doing fasting or. Like you mentioned earlier, Erica, could apply to a lot of different religious activities, really any religious activity. Are we doing it to keep score? Are we doing it to look better than other people? Are we doing it to keep score before God? Um, you know, so he's saying, look, there's, there's some reason to fast. There's some reason not to. Mm-hmm. And we can apply that to anything. Why do we go attend worship on Sunday? Why do we read our Bible every day? Uh, whatever it is that it's in our tradition, in, in each of our traditions that... That's it, that we said that this is on the list. Why is it on the list, and why do we do it? Uh, and Jesus says, well, there's a connection between what's going on in your heart that between what's going on outside. Yeah, let's explore that just a little bit. I, I think we've talked about spiritual disciplines recently, but, but again here, fasting is one of those spiritual disciplines um, can, that can be done in a religious way, or it can be done in a in a heartfelt way to, mm-hmm. to to honor God, to get closer to Him. Fasting in particular, uh, as we've already talked about, can be uh, over a mourning uh, of our own sin right. or or a, a waiting on the Lord, you yep. know, waiting yep. on Him and saying, I don't, I don't need anything but you to sustain me. Yep. It's something that strengthens our faith a little bit when we're t- a little bit too over-focused or over, over-stimulated with mm-hmm. things. Um, but the wrong way, then, to use fasting, especially in, in our day and age, probably would be to try to get something from God. Yeah. Right? To, to, yeah. Well, I'm doing this because... It's a command, and if I follow his command, then he's going to bless me. And I know that there's this, maybe even this culture, even inside of, you know, Christianity, but I know it is in in other religions that if I fast and pray, he'll actually answer my prayers. So it's like, it's a transactional thing. Okay, God, I'll fast, but then you got to do this. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's a way of obligating God. Mm -hmm. And, And especially the attitude is often like, the more I sacrifice, the more serious I am, then, then that really ups the anti-God, and now you really have to come through, because I sacrificed a lot for you, and so you better better show up. Yeah, and then even if we think about like re- daily devotions, you know, read, yeah. reading the Bible, I, I know me um, in particular, myself, I... There were times where I've had seasons of why did I read the Bible? You know, yeah. sometimes it is yeah. I just know that I I know that it's good for me. Even yeah. if I don't want to, I make myself do it. That's why yeah. it's a, a discipline. Uh early on though, there there were motivations. Maybe it wasn't like, you know, to get blessing from God, but sometimes it was I want to see how much I can 
knowledge I can gain so that I can impress people with my knowledge, right? Um, there were seasons of that in my life, and there were seasons of, well, I need to read this so that I can share it with other people. Right. Because, right. quite frankly, not a lot of other people do want to dig into it that deep, and so maybe I can help them by gaining as much knowledge as I can. Um, but, you know, I've gone through seasons like that, and I certainly read the Bible that way. But now, one, I, the biggest reason why I study the Bible the first and foremost, not to just share it, because I am a preacher and I do need to know it so I can share it. But, right. but the other reason, the main reason is because I believe it to be God's very words and it has so much in there for my spiritual nourishment. And I want to get closer to God. I want to know him more. And this is the prescribed way into to knowing God in a deeper way. Right. And, and I just... It come, what I'm saying is it comes from a place of love in my heart rather than like an outward duty or action to try to please him. I know he loves me Yeah, because yeah. he came down for me yeah. and he died for me. But now, because of that, I want to know him more and right. love him back. And I got to look into his word. So there's a lot yeah, of different that's really good point. spiritual mm -hmm. disciplines out there that we can misuse them. Yeah, um, And I think that that's what we see why the Pharisees are asking this question, because I don't think they quite understood the whole point of fasting in the first place. And right. so so Jesus, you know, gives them a pretty succinct answer um, that he's here. You should you should really get this. You know, Pharisees and and religious teachers of the law, you don't really get it, but I'm the groom and um they're celebrating with me yeah. right now, but and one day right. they're going to fast again, and but but one day we're going to celebrate again. Yeah, um, that's right. We're looking forward to that day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Amen. But Amen. then Jesus goes on um, in the in the next two verses, the last part of this uh, section of text that we're dealing with today, and he gives kind of two almost parables or or illustrations yeah. to to help them understand what he's doing why why he can take they can take a break from their their so-called religious duties mm -hmm. and be okay with it because really what Jesus is trying to explain is that he's doing something new here right. and and they don't really have the capacity or the heart posture to really understand it right yeah and so so yeah. we're going to see that he talks about uh, cloths and, and wineskins. And yeah. let me just read that. It says, Mark uh, chapter 2, 21, verses 22. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away, rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. What's what's going on here? What's he saying? Yeah, this is a little bit of a stretch because we don't really practice uh, either of these things necessarily in our culture. We, we we understand like okay, so in that culture, their clothes were primarily probably made of wool because it was a sh a sheep herding culture. And so I don't know if you've ever had a wool sweater <laughs> and you threw it in the in the wash and hot, and it's shrunk, mm -hmm. you know, and you come out with like a mini sweater. 
Um, so he's saying that he's t- when he talks about new cloth, he's talking about cloth that's recently been woven, but it hasn't been washed yet or, or rinsed or cleansed. They had a process for doing that. And so you don't take that and, and use it for a patch, because as soon as it gets washed, it's going to shrink, and it'll rip away from the, from the old cloth. The same thing with the wineskins, saying the same thing. And again, we don't use wineskins anymore in our culture. <clears throat> wineskins are like this, the like the skin of a goat or or a sheep. And so, um, new wine. When he talks about new wine, that's basically means unfermented wine. Mm-hmm. And so, if you have an old wineskin that the leather has become brittle uh, over time, over use, and you put unfermented wine in it. The wine is going to ferment, and when it ferments, it creates, it creates gas, gases, CO2. And so it's going to expand and expand, and pretty soon this, this old leather that's not supple and pliant anymore will burst. You lose the wine skin, you lose the wine. So you have to put new wine into a fresh skin. So it's a, it's, it's a con- both these make the same point. There's a contrast between old and new, and there's certain incompa- incompatibilities between some things that are old and some things that are new. Yeah, th- is this maybe meant to be a, a dig at the Pharisees? You know, maybe saying old dogs can't learn new tricks. Something like that, <laughs> yeah. I think something like that. So so what what's what's the heart at at what he's getting at? So so is he saying you guys are following the old testament, but the the, the new testament is here. I mean, I think a lot of people would might make that conclusion, right? That there's the old testament in the Bible and then there's the New Testament, right? Yeah, I don't think it's that I don't think it's quite that simple, but I think it's along those lines. So I, a lot of commentators that I've read say he's talking about old covenant, new covenant, old testament, new testament. If that was the case then I think Jesus would not have continued to affirm fasting. You know, because again, we saw in the last point, there's a time when his followers would fast. If it was completely like, oh, the old covenant is just completely done away with, Jesus fulfilled it, and, and, and those things are true in, in one sense, in a, in a salvational sense, but in terms of, he's, say, he's not saying that all the practices related to the Old Covenant are suddenly va- invalid now, or, or otherwise, why would he have continued to say fasting is something that you'll do, or, mm-hmm. or prayer or other things that are related to the Old Covenant? So exactly what is the, the old and new incompatibility? And it seems to me that it's more pointing to the idea of, that we've been touching on before, about how those things are practiced about the motive, the purpose, the approach, um, the, the mindset in which those things are practiced. There's a whole new way of approaching certain religious activities that are legitimate in and of themselves, but they've been abused or they've been misunderstood. So let's approach them in a whole different way. And the old approach and the new approach that Jesus, that Jesus is bringing are totally incompatible. Recently, uh, in a Bible plan that I've been reading with my church, we've been going through uh actually the book of leviticus and we just before that you know it was exodus and so we see the the law of god and kind of the moral law and the civil law and all all kinds of things the rituals and the ceremonial laws that they were doing and and i've always heard and and taught that you know there are there are laws in the old testament things to do um that when they're reiterated in the New Testament, we should certainly pay attention to those things. Yeah. Um, that 
that those have not gone away. Right. Now, there are parts of the Old Testament law that don't really apply to us, right? Like yeah, the, absolutely. The civil and ceremonial laws, like about how to, to live with other people and their, their animals and... And yeah, because we don't we don't live in a theocracy, mm-hmm. and, and we don't live in the land that God promised to give His people Israel. That was a unique national covenant. We don't live under that government form of government anymore. So those those things have to be taken into account. The ceremonial laws fulfilled by Jesus when He went to the cross. Exactly. He became the high priest and the and the sacrifice. But there are other elements of the, the moral law, mm-hmm. and there, so there are other elements we have to think about. How do they apply? If they do. Yeah, and and then even then, though, like you said, going back to kind of what I feel like is the the core of this whole thing is is our religious activity from our heart, mm-hmm. or is it from um, a desire to measure up? Basically, yeah. a religious yeah. a religious mindset, yeah. or out of a heart of of love and gratitude, what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And so maybe we should talk about that a little bit. I think that means that we don't get rid of a, a lot of things that, that God has already said in His Word to do, you know, commandments to follow, right? We we should fast, we should pray, we should read the Word, we should gather together, we should yeah. have rest, right? Yeah. We should abstain from uh, sin. We should, yeah. you know, we should... Uh, have have uh, only only sexual relations inside the marriage relationship between right. a man and a woman and yeah and so we should, and we should yeah. serve our neighbor and mm-hmm. some other things that were in the community of Israel that are reiterated in the New Testament like you said but yeah. underlying question is why why do we do those sometimes mm-hmm. people have talked about that in terms of law versus grace mm. you know. Um, do we do it because we're checking off these boxes to be worthy before God, or do we do it as a loving response to the goodness of God that that He's bestowed on us in Christ? Yeah. So, so why do we why do we go to church on Sundays? Is it to to save face with all the other people so they're not calling us and bugging us, asking <laughs> where we're at, or yeah. you know, so that that. Uh, we we look good to others outwardly, or is it because we really genuinely from our heart want to be with God's people, and we want to hear from His Word, and we want to yeah. sing to Him in worship? Yeah. Um, you know, so so maybe this whole time, you know, as we've been listening to this or talking through this, we've been really giving the Pharisees a bad rap. Yeah, it's easy to do. But we can all become the religion police, whether we're judging other people or we're even judging ourselves based on yeah. these actions and activities that we do and don't do, right? Yeah. And I think it all comes from a heart posture, a heart attitude towards God. That's really what Jesus is trying to teach you. Yeah, he's trying to say. And so I, I want to apply that just as we kind of wrap up here a little bit to two audiences. So yeah, we've applied it to the religious police, to the people who are trying to compare themselves to others. I want to apply it to, first of all, to people who are coming out of a religious system of some kind, maybe they were raised in it or whatever, where there's a lot of these kind of external uh, expectations. Because I want to say to that person, hey, don't give up on um, some of the religious practices. They have meaning. They just have a different meaning 
than what you've been used to. And so sometimes a person coming out of a legalistic religious background mm. will feel like, oh, now I could do whatever I want. Mm. You know, I don't have to do, you know, give or attend church anymore or whatever. I'm just going to go, you know, fill in the blank. And so I want to tell that person who's coming out of that system to say, hey, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And that's related then to the last audiences. We have a lot of people in our churches who aren't praying, mm. who aren't fasting, who aren't doing any of those religious activities. Um, and, and they're because they're not, you know, they're just measuring themselves. Maybe it's a maybe it's um, a, a misapplication of grace. They're going like, oh, I'm just, they're just lazy Christians or 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 whatever it might be. And so we're to that audience. We're saying, hey, you know, yeah, there's there's good reasons to do these practices. Um, it's just not what other religion, other religious people might be saying. So don't give up on prayer and fasting and all the things that you said, Eric, as an expression of your heart, your love for God, your intimacy with Him, um, all those other things. There's something new, right? Jesus says, new wineskin, um, new clothing. Don't just throw out the old, but then then neglect to embrace the new. Yeah, because ultimately our gratitude and the things that we do for God um, out of love should should come from understanding the gospel, understanding yeah. who Jesus is, understanding that He is the one who came and laid down His life for us, the church. We're called His bride. He is the groom, and and one day <clears throat> He will come back to get us. I, I think it's beautiful that it says that you know He was going to be taken away. Um, and then they will fast again. Well, there is a time for all of us believers that we actually do long for the day that we get to be with Him again. You know, Amen. the Bible says that when when Jesus left in 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 John in the book of John, He says, "I I go, but I have to go, and when I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you." And if you think about that that wording, that imagery, it's like the the husband going to prepare a house for his bride so that they can live together for the rest of their lives happily mm -hmm. ever after. And so now with, with all of the things going on in this life, you know, uh, uh, we have a relationship with God, but it's not fully, fully consummated yet right. until, till one day he comes back to get us. And so we do all of the, the religious and, and, and discipline and habitual things that we do so that we can maintain a healthy relationship with God. Um, and, and we long for that day when one day um, we won't be just living by faith and disciplines, but we'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, what the Bible says in Revelation calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb, where, yeah. where we have on the the wedding garment uh, and there won't be any holes in it and we won't need to be right. so anything so anything new there will be wine there that represents joy there will be feasting because we are celebrating with him and i think that's what the pharisees are missing and have missed and uh, maybe you're listening to that and you've missed this all along been a part of religion but haven't had the relationship. Uh, we implore you today to start a relationship with God by by trusting in Jesus and 
And if you've messed up and haven't measured up, that's okay. Jesus has come to set you free and save you and and take your place so that you could have a relationship with God. So that's our third lesson in, in Mark chapter 2 as we see Jesus challenging the religious leaders of his day. Uh, don't miss our final session in in chapter two and it'll bleed into chapter three a little bit as he has one more interaction uh, in this section. Uh, God bless you guys and we'll see you next time. Hey listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.